0: Welcome to part two of why we are horrible coaches on the Magnus and Marcus show. Um, we're going to delve right in and uh, get to why we uh, suck as coaches. So hope you guys enjoy. It's, uh, it's a long, long winding conversation with me and John on a number of topics ranging from warm ups to athletes to why we failed and our biggest failures and most importantly how we grow for them. And also, before we jump in there, I'd like to thank everyone who came out to uh, me and John and have saying they've been listening this past weekend. John was in San Francisco, I was in Canada, and a lot of people came up and said they enjoyed it. So, surprisingly, people are listening to us talk. So that's awesome. So I hope you guys find this, uh, find this interesting, and uh, thanks for the feedback. Keep it coming. Enjoy. Like, and
1: also nice thing about the human body is that it's a survival machine. Yep. It can adapt and survive and be resilient like none other. Yeah. You know, cut your finger and in a couple days as long as you take care of that wound and you know keep it uh, clean, it's it's well, healed.
0: You know, and that's the brilliant point. I always whenever people whenever people bring that up on the human body's adaptability, I always point to high school coaching. I mean, there's some brilliant high school coaches. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also some athletes, and this speaks to talent too. But there's also some athletes who maybe aren't that talented, but run supremely fast in high school and do cr- do crazy stuff by any definition of the word of crazy training. Yes, they'll do you know intervals every day for the week.
1: Yes, and I mean, like I have heard, I have heard that I've heard a program. You know, I don't yeah. even know the coach or don't even, but I know yeah. a parent was like, "Is this good to do twenty times four hundred the Thursday?" At hard, like at mile th- race pace. Hard Thursday before a Saturday cross country invite, and I was like, probably not wise. How did how the team run that Saturday? Oh, they ran awful.
0: They're <laughs> probably still tired, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> it was just, but, man, but that's the thing, like. There, there's kids like that there, who run really fast off yeah, they stuff. Yeah, there
1: are. And it just reinforces it's like, just the bo- oh, if Susie ran this fast, yeah. this must work. So yeah. it's going to work for every, co- exactly. every athlete I, I do work with moving forward. And the, the
0: body adapts. And All right, so I'm going to go off on tangent because you mentioned that. Because this is the other thing that I think I sucked at at one point. And it's the problem I, I'd call of coaching people fast when you're young. Yes. Is when you coach your first fast person or your first couple fast, whatever fast people is, yeah. you, you you have this template and you're like, oh, like this is the best person I've ever coached by far. Mm-hmm. Like this works for them. Somehow I stumbled upon this formula yeah. that worked. Yes. I don't know
1: what I was doing. Really. I went to the mountains and God yeah. gave me these tablets <laughs> and I have the key, I have the recipe. <laughs> everyone will be a champion <laughs> okay.
0: that i coach for now on everyone. <laughs> but that's that's what happens it's and then true. you and then you go back and you're like well i guess i guess this worked i'm gonna do the same thing for this person and then it doesn't work and yeah. you're like oh crap yeah oh crap like and the this is where i think separates the good coaches and you know maybe the not so good ones the good ones sit there and be like well that didn't work i better learn from my failure i better figure out that you know there is no magic formula that i have to adjust everything yeah the bad ones just kind of throw it off and be like ah that for that runner was a head case like that's why it didn't work for them it was their problem not mine i'm gonna go to apply it to the next runner and it's gonna work because it worked for susie who ran x incredible time and you see this at the high school level where some coach stumbled upon some state champion who was super talented and and they did this crazy stuff and it worked, and now they're like, well, you know, Bobby, our state champ and school record holder did this, so this is gonna work. Mm -hmm. This is our template. Or you see it at the elite level where it's like, no, I had this person run this world-class time and this is what they did, so you need to be able to do that. And I think that's- Well, we're suckers for formulas. We're
1: suckers for formulas. That's all it is.
0: And it's you know, easy it's easy it's super easy to fall into that yeah. that trap
1: and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter the industry like you know the the wealth attainment like we have this perfect wealth management or wealth investment formula follow this formula great or here's this diet formula because yep. there's like this security in the concreteness of science and formulas and you know you want to have again that control but when you relinquish that control When you know, like, you don't have any control as a coach, really, at the end of the day, that gives you the freedom to, you know, be a horrible coach and be okay with it. Like, I mean, one of the things is that I fail a lot, man, for as, you know, as much as I care, like, I have athletes who are really ill-prepared for the final exam, whether it's the, you know, conference or, you know, state or national cross-country meet or track meet. Like, man, I fail them a lot. And I'm like... I thought you were prepared, you seem prepared and now you get there and you just laid an egg like, and I have no idea and it's my job, it's my job to figure out why yeah. you didn't run that well by, you know getting feedback from you, understanding what happened, were you emotionally ill prepared, like maybe physically you were great, you're in the zone, your workouts were feeling good, you feel like you're walking on cloud nine, running cloud nine And but emotionally got into that competitive situation, like oh! and you tensed up, or you just you know, you, were, you didn't sleep for two nights or you're yeah. sick. I mean, it's like, you know, cross country is like a brutal sport in that regards. And I, I love it because it makes me a better track coach and it makes me a better coach in general because it's like, as soon as you think, okay, man, this team's ready to go. These guys are set. These guys are on it. We're going to, they go and just, they, people get it handed to them, yep. you know, and it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, look at even the NCAA, you know, this year, like Mark Wetmore, you know, Colorado guys, like here's this cross country guru and it, it's just that's the nature of that of that sport that's what makes cross country the sport so great is the unpredictability and the you know peop- chips fall where they make cuz everyone's working hard everyone's doing the long run the hard tempo runs yep. the hard mile repeats you know everyone's doing all that stuff and then sometimes it just comes down to a little bit of moxie which Unfortunately, you can't coach, you know, it's like, you know, I wish you could coach Moxie, but uh, <laughs> if you could, man, then then this would be a podcast on why I'm the greatest coach ever, <laughs> <laughs> instead of why I'm a bad coach, but it's, you know, it, like, and I, I, and the thing is, I forget that. Yeah. I forget that year in and year out, like yeah. as many years I've been coaching cross country and even track, I forget about the Moxie factor. Yep. And it's sometimes like, okay, you're prepared, you're ready to go it's going to be hard, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, oh, man, workouts were great. All this stuff was good. Okay, you're, you're, you're well-equipped physically. And I just forget mentally and emotionally. You sometimes just... Athletes need to get their asses handed to them Yep. to get more emotionally like aroused for the next year or get the failure experience to motivate them moving forward. And it's like you can't really replicate that in practice.
0: Yep, it's true. I mean, it's so true. I can <laughs> sit here and reminisce about college, high school pros of people getting their ass kicked oh yeah and then coming back and being like all right i got it in an order mm-hmm. but those are the people who like get their ass kicked and they learn from that failure and get things get things on the right bucket mm-hmm. right so it's interesting but yeah i mean i can sit here it's 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 so funny when you're you're as a coach you're sitting there you're looking at workouts you're you're analyzing all this stuff and you're like all right this person is ready like he is prepared right yeah <laughs> and then they go out and lay an egg and you're just <laughs> like it was like huh oh man i How? think one one of the worst in my early coaching experiences i was coaching a bunch of high school kids and they ended up second at the state meet five so big largest school division in texas and they missed it by, I don't know, four four points or something like that over a team that finished, you know, top 10 at N X and Nationals that year. So they were a good squad. They all ran pretty well at the state meet, except our number one guy who was the most consistent guy ever got, I think, ninth or tenth. And he was a, a, a favorite. No, I think it was worse than that. I think it was maybe 12th or something like that. But he was a favorite to win the state meet no. he ended up I think 10th or 11th at the NXN national meet <laughs> <laughs> and it was like the same place at the state yeah, meet, state meet yeah. and yeah. that was like that was the difference between winning and losing I mean uh-huh. it's, yeah. for those who know it's, I mean it's, the runner was Ryan Doner who runs for Ben Rosario's Northern Arizona Elite so he's a really good athlete like yeah. I didn't make him no he ran well in high school he ran well at college under john hayes he's running well at pro with ben like none of us made him he's just a good kid good talented kid who works hard and all that stuff but i remember sitting there being like oh man like i screwed this one up Mm -hmm. like this kid is good and he just sucked (laughs) (laughs) and this just cost our team like you know second was the highest place in school history but you're just sitting there like ah, we were that close we were four points from like the woodlands high school the you know the dominating team for 30 something years yeah and i remember just sitting there and and then talking to ryan afterwards and being like man i'm sorry i screwed you up (laughs) i don't know how i messed it up but (laughs) but something happened and you know we read and but it was at ass kicking the next week he goes out and wins the nxn regional thing over i think parker stenson and craig lutz and then ended up as i said 10th or 11th at nationals which is great but it's that was just like one instance i remember early on where it's like for a while it's like man i got this thing figured out like i got this coaching thing like we're on a roll we're taking a bunch (laughs) of ryan was good was talented but then it was a bunch of ragtag bunch of dudes who were like we can do something and come together and then it's like oh man i suck as a coach so (laughs) those those moments not only for an athlete on reorganizing and getting back into it the next race like those are brilliant moments as a coach too because you have to be like oh shit like the same thing i mean not to belabor the point but the same thing after sarah hall's debut marathon like she rocked that training man she was so, oh yeah i remember that yeah. i remember you talking about yeah, like she training. was she, yeah. she killed it like all, she was doing stuff and yeah. you know we were smart about it and she was doing stuff like i've never seen people do this stuff and i've worked with some good athletes and i was like this girl's gonna rock it and then she just you know a lot of issues fell apart and then you know comes back and Learned a lot and then she ran Chicago in two thirty one and her training was nowhere near as good as it was. Like before LA. Nowhere near as good. Like she was solid, she was good, but it wasn't like this outstanding block that she had. Yeah. That was pretty much I mean, it's only block of training for months that was was practically flawless I've ever Mm -hmm. had in my career of like, you know, three or four months straight of just like nailed this, nailed this, nailed this, nailed this, and you're just thinking man, I, am, I got this stuff figured out. Yeah. <laughs> but then, then, of course, when you think that, it doesn't. Yeah. But it's just, it, the contrast was brilliant because it's like it knocks you back on your feet as a coach and you're like, all right. Well, it's that moxie factor, Yeah. you know? Like she, found, she
1: had yep. that moxie. She yep. had a good, you know, summer of racing. You know, she she knew what the beast of the marathon was. It's hardest thing is to explain to people who have never ran a marathon. It's like what the beast is you know it's just you gotta go out and you gotta go do it and if you have a that's why like having a great debut marathon is like a big deal because most people don't <laughs> most people it's all and it's also a curse because now all of a sudden your standard of excellence is calibrated you have this anchor about what's a good marathon time and now you're forever anchored at that at that debut you know and that that, that has to do a lot too with how you judge success or failure is what that anchor point is you know yeah. And it's like, uh, you know, the two toughest events the coach always said, 800 marathon. No one has any idea. Like anything can work. It's kind of like, hey, you want to do th- three hour long runs if you're like a, you know, 215 guy for, okay, great. O- okay. Or, hey, for an 800, you can just do only four meter and faster reps all year long. Or you can, you know, do tempo runs and stuff in the fall and some hills and some art and Oh, you're at 144. Great, <laughs> you know. It's like no one has any idea. No. Someone says, "Oh, I know how to coast 800." It's like, no, you're you're full of it. <laughs> it
0: no, it's true. It's the fact at each extreme of the physiology. It's yeah, Just like, yeah, yeah. you know, there it's it's if you have if you think you know what you're doing, like you don't. Yeah. It's gonna come back to bite you.
1: Right. I think that's when I've been at my worst. Is when I think, okay, I know what I'm doing. I know what we're doing with these athletes, and I'm not you know, on the ball enough to be like, wait a second, I need to be a little bit more on edge to make sure we're, you know, find the right balance, but also that I'm still searching and asking mentors or asking other colleagues or even asking other athletes, like, okay, is what we're doing intelligent? Does this have, you know, is this have a right impact? Is this accomplishing our ultimate end game? You know, from a physiological standpoint, which we invest a lot of time and space in because you can track it, but the hard part is you can't track moxie. But moxie is like the most important thing that comes to racing. I mean, I had a, a coach ask me the other day like, "Oh, hey, can you know we do mixed pace sessions? Because you know he start off just just doing very isolated type work like one VO2 max day, just work at VO2 max, aerobic threshold, just work on that. You know, a lactic capacity, just work on that, and keep them all you know separate. And it's like, well, a race touches on multi-paces. You're gonna race, you're gonna do everything. You're gonna touch on all those systems. A time trial is a little bit more prescribed and yet we've you know, dev- devolved, in my opinion, to time trial racing, where it's like, let's just go out with a rabbit, even pace the whole way through and just keep an even pace and then maybe have a kick the last minute and see see how we're doing. Instead of like, well, this person's going out surging, they're slowing down, they're picking the pace back up, this person's kicking out from 600, oh my God, what are we gonna do after all this? Like, that's racing where that unpredictability factor is, because at the end of the day, you know, any race on the track, it's about getting to the finish line before the you know, other competitors. Does not matter the time, you know, but we've put such an emphasis on this time that we've lost our guiding light. And I think I'm a victim to that. That's part of what makes me a bad coach. Is being like oh so time focused like yeah there's a certain you know entry standard you have to have at different levels to play at this championship meet or that championship meet but it's like get the time and get out get the time and get back to racing because at the championship meet it's about racing and you see this all the time athletes who had a great time trial season they went to stanford they went to mount sack they went to you know wherever texas relays penn and man they just ran a Lights out, 5K, 10K, 15, and oh man, they're ready to rock it now. And then you go to like the regional meet for like NCA World in Austin, Texas, in the 10K, and it's humid, and you know, humidity's at 80, and it's 80 degrees, and they're ill-equipped, ill-prepared, and you know, they get dead last. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, and so it's like, but that experience has teaches you that because we, when I was coaching, you know, in uh, in Division One world. I had a, a female athlete. She, that exactly happened to her. She was pretty solid, but she had an awful race in hot uh, Houston, or I mean Austin, excuse me, because of the humidity factor in the 10K and just really ran, uh, you know, under underperformed. And, you know, we went back to Austin a couple of years later and, and she did like heat acclimatization training <laughs> like none other, like a month straight of, hey, you're just going to wear basically a snowsuit every day. <laughs> with gloves in the Portland spring. I know it's a beautiful time in Portland, but yeah, it's just gonna suck. But then she went and she, you know, the heat didn't get to her as much. She actually finished well above where she was ranked going in because she was able to race and she was better prepared. The workouts didn't really change. It was that little tweak of, oh, we need to get you more acclimatized to heat. So we're gonna spend a thorough good month prepping you for this. So it's not a big deal when you get down there, which made all the difference. And so it's recognizing, quick you know with more quickness what the key changes what the small tweak that's going to get the biggest dividend i think going back to like that 80 20 concept i you know touched on before we went on this massive tangent (laughs) as we typically do uh you know it's like that 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 20 percent that gets that 80 percent yield is the most important 20 percent and then you know it's like all these funny little things like you see oh hey look this guy's doing a one-legged you know romanian deadlift with a disproportionate bar on a upside down bosu ball and oh man that's working single leg stability and strength and capacity of all this type of you know blah 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 blah. and like huh it must be hard being that good where doing that one activity in the weight room is going to get you that one percent improvement that you really need to be better at the next level it's like no i don't know any athlete where <laughs> doing that it's hard yes it's challenging yes but really where that makes sense like stick to the fundamentals stick to the squats stick to your lunges stick to the things that actually have a direct transfer that you need to master and spend years mastering even though it's not fancy or anything like that like that's going to get you the that that 20% of those types of activities, which are the basic fundamentals, we're going to get the highest yield. And then when you're like a junior or senior, you can do the other fancier things incorporate them. But always, I think when I was as a younger coach, what made me not so good was trying to do it all and say, "Oh man, it's all. It all has equal importance, and we have to cu- we have to have all these ingredients in this training recipe, you know, for this cake to come out perfect." And I was telling Steve offline, I mean, training is just like you know baking a cake but what kind of cake do you want to bake you know is it a cheesecake is it chocolate cake is it you know a vanilla layered cake like what well, you, you know is it a mousse like and then that's how you direct what type of ingredients you're going to you know put into your training recipe and as i got older and a little bit more vetted and asked mentors because i'm not smart enough to have just magically come up with this on myself <laughs> it was like understanding understanding that like what has the biggest potency in the training recipe for the time we have with the athlete on a micro scale of a season, but also a macro scale of, you know, career with them, you know, whether it's a scholastic athlete, a post collegiate athlete. And once I understood that, you know, people start around a little bit better so i was like oh my mentors are right thank you
0: guys <laughs> it's amazing how that works yeah when, the guys with a lot of experience yeah, were right yeah, when you're young you think no one knows what they're doing mm-hmm. uh yeah it, it's interesting because i think there's i think there's this like innate human desire to to do things different to innovate almost to to you know go beyond the basics because it's almost this need to be like well this can't be it like there has to be more to it than you know doing a b and c so we're gonna do this crazy exercise like you said and most of the time it occurs in the weight room and stuff like that because Mm -hmm. it's easy to do crazy stuff and and above all justify it i think that's the the brilliant thing about people is we are marvelous justifiers oh, yeah. of yeah. anything yeah. we want to do. Like, you can talk yourself into thinking that anything is the best idea just by, you know, a couple yeah, a like couple senses. Ten, like,
1: ten cups of coffee is yeah. a great idea. Yeah. You know, and then after ten, ten cups tops. of coffee, it's not the best idea.
0: <laughs> like, oh, I can't go to sleep. I'm not doing that again. Sounded <laughs> I mean, like such a good idea. At the it time. was such
1: good coffee. Yeah. <laughs>
0: pretty much it pretty much it but it's like that identifying what gets your most bang for your buck or that identifying like what is what is needed before we take the next step is one of the key lessons that i think you have to learn in coaching because it's as he said like when you're younger like you have this tendency to want to do everything you have this tendency to like i'm gonna I'm gonna stick everything I can in there. Like I'm gonna be perfect. We're like we're gonna go through this warm up and this drill is going to be this one and then this next drill and this next drill. And we're going to do them in this order because it brings on some awesome activation. And yeah, you know, yeah. it's like this sequence is the sequence.
1: It's so important. Do- it's going to turn all the, these proprioceptors. A, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Like this sequence matters. And then, you, you know, once you're going to do that, you're going to have this perfect time before it, between your warmup inning and, and your workout and the workout is going to have this exact, formula and then afterwards you're going to have this great amazing cool down with you know xyz afterwards to prime you for Mm -hmm. something else and to return the nervous system to something and you you have to go through these series of drills and then we're going to go through and stick some general strength in and then go into the weight room and then go do our ice bath and like the day is five six hours long at this right but like you think you have to stick it all in there Mm -hmm. and as a as sounds bad and it might look lazy to some, but it's like, as you grow as a coach, you start realizing like, yeah, that's not important. Like, yeah,
1: the essential from the non-essential. Yeah, it's like, yeah.
0: that doesn't do us much good. Yeah. Like we're, uh, you know, we're spending, uh, we're spending 45 minutes doing these, this crap to warm up when, you know, five minutes of this stuff could, could do it. Yeah. And it's like, uh, oh, that, no, yeah, that order doesn't matter. Like right. they just need to do a little bit of this type of work. And they're gonna be okay.
1: Right. Or it's like my, my fan favorite is, my personal favorite is, people are like, you have to do a damn warm up to, to get thoroughly warmed up. You have to do it. And I go, last time I checked, people ran and did sag stretching for about uh, <laughs> 60, 70 years. You know, in the track and field world, and like people ran just fine. You know, what I mean, so, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, dynamic warm-up is intelligent. There's there is yeah. you know good reason for it. I agree, but it's like at the end of the day, you could still have a thorough and effective warm-up with just easy running and static stretching.
0: So my 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 best college runner Brian Barazzo ran at nationals, um, ended up just off All American. But he's a good guy. Like, he was a, our regional champ in cross. His warm-up is to run, jog two miles, and do leg swings. That is it. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. There's, yeah. no, there's no drills that everyone else does. Yeah. There's nothing, nothing else than that. He'll do a stride or two with spikes on but like that's you know everyone else is warming up you know start he starts their warm-up with everyone else you know 50 minutes before but half of the time he's sitting there cracking jokes because that's what Brian does well everyone else is doing their drills and he's just standing there and then he'll wait and he'll do his leg swings and he'll do his strides and that's what works for him yeah like and he, he, that's like he jokes around he's like oh this, this is how I feel good yeah and I'm like that's 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 the warm up that's, that's valuable. that's like, warm up. yeah, it's like I get all these like
1: post collegiate athletes who, you know, come to me after working with a, another coach or a couple coaches or what Have you and like you know, we do our first workout like, "Well, okay, what what do you want me to do for my drills?" You go, do whatever makes you feel good. But yeah. Exactly. Do whatever makes you feel good. You know, like do this for your running, do this whatever makes you feel good for your drills. You whatever drills you like that turn you on yeah. and get you ready to like go. Do that like we'll address that later like yeah. that's non-essential right now like i'm still trying to figure out you know <laughs> how the pig shakes in mud like i'm you know I, <laughs> the first three to six months i'm just trying, trying to figure to that, that,
0: that out figure you know? out yeah, that's so funny because it's uh, i've had a couple new athletes who joined me in houston over the last month or two and it's the same thing like the the first couple times we meet it's hilarious because they're like what should i do i'm like just just do your normal stuff yeah. Like it, what, what drills should I do? What should I do for my mom? Yeah, just whatever makes you feel good. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you're like, really? Like we used to have to do this, this, and this, and this. I'm like, well, does some make you feel good? Do that. Yeah. Like, We'll figure, we'll figure that detail out if we need to. Like, mm-hmm. if something is not working, then we'll address that.
1: Well, and I think that brings that maybe, you know, it, this is supposed to be how bad we are, but maybe here's a something that we've improved on is our observation yeah. accessibility. It's like, you know, you don't learn anything when you're talking. So it's like when you're listening or when you're observing and watching, that's where you learn the most. Like if, so if I t- show you how to exactly do this drill, or I show you right from the get-go I want you to do this, especially like the good athletes, the faster, more elite athletes. They are quick learners, man. Those people, they learn quickly. Like yep. sometimes it takes me about two, three months to get my scholastic athletes, you know, aged athletes to understand things. These people can figure that out in one or two sessions and they can move exactly what they want to at all the right angles and have this posture and whether it's in the weight room or drills or what have you. So I, again, but if I show you that right off the bat, this is how I want you to move. You have to have this postural alignment and move like this. And I'm not doing a, my, a screening or an assessment. And then doing it for a couple weeks, seeing how you alter as you break down, as you get fatigued, as the training load starts to creep up on you. Then I, I have a much better assessment about where to go and what to do with you versus if I just had my you know, um, toolbox of perfect drills it's going to give you perfect posture but as we know all those things when the central governor you know gets fatigued and you start to get that neurological like um, you know fatigue in you and tiredness it's all going to go to pot anyway (laughs) so
0: it's like what's the point you revert to what what, whatever you do like that's it I mean when you break down you break down you break down like it doesn't matter if you practice perfect drills in this situation like if you break down you're done that's why i was at the end of hard workouts i'm like whatever you guys are doing now to compensate like whether it's your head goes back your arms go crazy like whatever you're doing there like that's what's going to happen like in a a race because it's you know it's what happened and it's why we talked a little bit earlier offline about sprint coaches versus distance coaches and it's why you can't just correct people in this like nice little um, fully fresh non-fatigued state and hope it translates.
1: There's no transfer. It doesn't yeah. transfer. I mean, it transfers in a fully fresh, fresh non-fatigued state, state. Yeah. which is great, but everyone's trying to figure out the last third of a race. Yeah. You know, you go through 100 meter and you have your three phases. Well, everyone's looking great through like the acceleration phase. That's yeah. awesome. It's when we get into deceleration patterning. It's like oh, okay, well, how are we going to then transfer what we did when you're fresh to when you're tired and decelerating? You know, what you're trying to do is trying to make the speeds at which you're trying to play the game so you don't decelerate as good. Like, I always tell, like, my 800-meter people, like, hey, guess what? Everybody's decelerating in the last 100 meters of the 800. Everybody. You know where you need to get the jump? When you're fresh. You need to get the jump on the back straight away so you can get a little bit of separation and then hold the separation hope to God you don't mm-hmm. decelerate as fast as people come for you. You know, it's like pick where you can like get the jump and then you gotta hold the jump. Some people, you know, pick the jump at, you know, 150 to go or pick the jump at 80 to go. Like Nick Simmons, he just decelerates less than everyone in front of him, so it looks like he's kicking everyone down, but he's just maintaining that even pace where he was back of the pack in the beginning of the race yep. and that moved him to the forward of the pack in the championship setting in the in the beginning race. That's why he's such a good championship runner and has, you know, re- have recently not been, you know, a high level Diamond League competitor type race because he doesn't have, you know, the one forty-one get up and go anymore. But he has the hey, we're going to bang out 144, 145 all day, (laughs) day in and day out. Not a problem for me. You know, but so it's like, so there are, I mean, there are good teaching points there. It's not to say like the sprints coaches are incorrect by any stretch of the imagination, but you have to put people in that fatigue state. And then that's where you can get the direct transfer to show like, look, you can still do this when fatigued. You know, and that's. Where the value comes, like in distance world, and I'm mean, sprint coaches would balk at this, is doing some faster sprints or strides at the end of a longer, harder aerobic session. Hey, you're a little fatigued, but you're not completely neuromuscularly fatigued, you're more aerobically fatigued, so you're in a slightly acidosis fatigue state. We're going to do some 200s or some 150s controlled to teach your body how to run with that acidosis in your system so it's not a completely foreign concept when you get to the race you know versus you know some people who are very you know as i like to call them posture nazis they're like oh man well if the shingle angles aren't perfect if the greater trochanter is not doing this it's like no no (laughs) you know like in the sprint world that may matter a lot because you're talking thousands of a second but in the distance world again it's 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 of the eighty percent that only gives you the twenty percent yield. It's not that critical. It's more incredible getting the athlete the moxie to get across that finish line and just say, Go, go get it, go now. It doesn't have to be pretty, yeah, you know, head straight up in the air, doing the Edward Cesarek, you know, dance <laughs> down the home straight away, but you're going, man, you know.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. It always <laughs> maybe this is the sad drug-induced uh, culture of our sport talking, but it always makes me question when people start talking about like these little tiny things. They're like, man, I had the or the story I always go to is there was this Irish ten K guy named Cathol Lombard who got busted for EPO after he went from like twenty nine minutes to twenty seven thirty. Like, before he got busted, like, all he was talking about, is like, man, I added these plyos yeah. and, like, these plyos doing it this way. Like, this was the key to the, the key in this stuff. <laughs> and, like, whenever people start talking about, and don't get me wrong, plyos help and blah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. But whenever people start talking about, like, oh, this, this little tiny thing or this little small inc- change... Like this was the key to my breakthrough by a yeah. minute and a half in the 10k. <laughs> just,
1: that's a red flag. Yeah, that's a red flag. That,
0: that's a red flag, yeah. and that's what I think. Like, yeah. it, it's like no, like those little small things. Yes, they matter. Yes, they add up. Yes, all this stuff. But like, it's this foundation that that you have to get down first.
1: Yeah. I I really like Lee Troop on this. Like, if you've ever talked to Lee or heard Lee talk about his own training, like. You know, his, his training methodology for himself was run twice a day, every day, no matter what, 8 a.m., 5 p.m., every single day you running twice a day, period. And, you know, Lee just ran twice a day every day at 8 o'clock and 5 o'clock, regardless if he's a little sick, a little tired, didn't matter. He still got out the door, put him on. And in a couple years, he just became, you know, Australian, you know, multi-time Australian Olympian that you count on being going to Olympic or World Championships. Yeah you know, Lee is a no nonsense guy. He gets it. You know, it's like Steve Jones, another like great marathon, you know, coach also in the Boulder area. Like the guy ran three times a day, morning, lunch, and after work. Like, And he just did that for many, many years. You know, Bill Rogers twice a day in the morning and after work, like every single day, 14 days for years. And when they stopped doing that, guess what happened they you know they got hurt their fitness went down (laughs) lo and behold because they weren't getting the stimulus you know it's that i guess is another thing that made me a bad coach early on too and still i have to you know hone in a little bit is me thinking all these small things you know i talk a lot about weightlifting and plyos and those are important from a hormonal recovery standpoint and i value those a lot but at the end of the day it's 80% 80% of it's still running. Like yep. you still need to get out the door and run. You got put the miles and you got to do the workout. Don't get me wrong. It's not like you're gonna all of a sudden just be in the weight room hanging out and then doing these plyos and voila, you run a lot faster. Like if the first foundational 80%, the essential 80% is not taken care of, then this extra like weightlifting and plyo stuff that falls in the 20%, you know, of the other stimulus category, it doesn't matter. It's it's a moot point. So. You know, I, uh, it's just like, how do you, and the lifting stuff that we do, and I was talking with Steve earlier offline, very basic. It's like 15, 16 lifts that I just cycle through. And we do like anywhere from five to 10. (laughs) And it's just, just the basics, just bilateral, basic things. (laughs) Like nothing too cute. There's a couple single leg or transitioning to single leg movements like a step up on a box but it's like squat lunge yeah. bench push-up you know squat to you know barbell overhead you know press up like it's like it's just it's, you you watch it you will just be well this is really unimpressive you go yeah <laughs> it is but it, it's it that's that's running that's but that's the, our sport that's
0: the mark of <laughs> it's almost the mark of good training yeah like yeah Like, I almost feel like if I can hand you some athlete's training log who has run fast, and you're an experienced coach or athlete, and you look and you go, dang, this is not impressive. Yeah. Like... That's a good sign that's, to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, all right, good, good. Yeah. I'm on the right. I'm on the right path. Like, yeah. Yeah. we didn't do anything out of this world, so yeah. that means like yeah. we're not crazy. You're like, doing
1: strides on recovery days. No, yeah, not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> you doing a
0: long run? Not
1: impressed. Not impressed. You're doing doubles? Not impressed. <laughs> You're just doing tempo runs? Not impressed. Yeah, well, and that's the th- that's the thing.
0: Like that doesn't that doesn't sell books. That doesn't sell no. magazines. That doesn't sell like articles. And I get that. Like I'm I. It, it's funny like if you know the most stuff that i've put out that's gotten the most pub has been like my own little crazy experimentations that we do you know once or twice a season of of workouts and people are like oh that's awesome i'm like yeah but but that's this 99 percent of it is it's the 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 right. random the nice foundation that we do that isn't that's the outlier impressive. workout yeah, yeah <laughs> that's, that's the outlier or the the flow track workout of the week yeah. where
1: um, oh it's the big sexy yeah, thing like, big oh, sexy. oh yeah these guys are ready to it's, go
0: uh, we, all, we always joke on our team and I don't think we'll ever pull this out but if we if uh, flow tra- if we did a flow track workout of the week it would be the most random cra- <laughs> crazy thing ever and we just have people doing random stuff like math problems in the middle of their workout and yeah. uh and rolling on the ground just just to see what would happen (laughs) but that's the stuff that people latch on to because everyone's looking for like oh there there must be some secret there must be like this next big thing that I'm missing out on to get to the next level
1: right and I always go back to probably one of my favorite Buddhist quotes of all time it's like before enlightenment chop wood carry water after enlightenment chop wood carry water you know, it's this foundational stuff was thought of and decided upon by many great minds, many thousands of years before we even were on this planet and talking about running fast. So it's the same. It's the same principle here. It's like when you run fast, just keep doing what got you to running fast in the first place. You know, you don't you don't need to go do these crazy little like things that are going to add one percent, you know, potentially to your, you know performance capacity but that have such a high risk of 90 percent of injury it's like no like just keep doing what you're doing and just vary the stimulus accordingly and as your fitness progresses
0: yeah that's amazing i mean you mentioned thousands of years and like one of the i forgot what book i was reading lately but it made this great point that you know it was looking at some research on some uh, modern day hunter gatherers in their process of uh doing it um and it was like we noted that these hunter gatherers like they tended to hunt on non-consecutive days and i'm sitting there like <laughs> yeah. like well that mm-hmm. makes sense <laughs> like stimulus recovery. I'm going to recovery yeah you know it's like stress stress yes. yeah like oh. like hmm this is kind of built into what we do like yeah there's probably a reason like why this cycle works and running and training and everything.
1: You wonder um, like the biggest thing you wonder what would happen in the work world if we'd follow the same, same pattern. Thing. Like I'm gonna work Monday, I'm gonna take Tuesday off. So, I'm gonna work again on Wednesday. and you know.
0: So I'm gonna give I'm gonna give a little preview here, because okay. I don't. I'm gonna I'm gonna plug my book that won't be out for like a year and a half. All right. This but is the earliest shameless a, plug. Yeah, earliest
1: shameless plug. <laughs> There are many more coming. Yeah.
0: But um me and me and my uh, co-author Brad Stolberg, we're uh, working on our book on performance across domains, and and uh, I'm just we're, we're in the writing plus researching phase right now, and one of uh, and we're gonna go over a little bit of that stress rest in the work cycle a little bit, but in this in researching it came across this this great article in the I think the Harvard Business Review, where it was talking about this this kind of research study they did at uh some major consulting firm where they they took these they took these groups of people and they assigned them to i forgot the name of it but it was something like forced break group and it was like and and these were research consultants who were working with you know billion dollar companies and and helping them make decisions and stuff so when you're in that world like it's 24 7 like yes. you're always on there is no five-day work cycle there mm-hmm. is it's it's you're on all the time there are no business hours and what they did with this is you know what we're gonna we're gonna try a mandatory forced off day like smack dab in the middle of the week like a, a random Wednesday we're gonna make them do that um, every week and these people like they included some of the quotes from people when they told them that. And they're like, this isn't going to work. This is horrible. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm I'm, a, I'm, losing, you know, I'm losing a seventh of my work week. Like, I'm going to get fired. Like, my business, my production is going to go down. My career is going to be suicide. And, like, they track people. And they had like, people going through, like, anxiety about <laughs> yeah. having, like, this day yeah. off. Yeah. And, like... You know, the study went on and like, they didn't, no one thought it was worked. And then they mandatorily forced them to do this. And then afterwards they're like, oh my God, like this was awesome. And they found their production increased and they're like, it actually increased with, you know, one seventh of the less work that you work hours you could get their production increased and their, their, their enthusiasm for their work increased. And their the amount of communication and inter like group dynamics within their working group increased several fold so they became better at working with each other and their views you know flipped 100 percent where they're like oh my god how how did this work and they were like dumbfounded and blindsided by the fact that like taking a day off right like Rejuvenated it, and yeah. it, that's you well, know.
1: Well, that, that's funny. Like you, you mentioned that because like coming back, I just came back from vacation in Maui for you know nine, ten days, and it was great. I was rejuvenated. Didn't see anybody. You know, text a couple athletes. Hey, here's the workout. Get it done. Have fun. But it made me think like I need to have a mandatory no coaching day. Yeah. You know, and it, it and that's another reason why I'm a bad coach. Just I'm always coaching. Always kind of like, hey checking in with someone, you're good, okay, great, hey, you ready for this session, blah, blah, blah. You know, makes me a good coach in some ways, but in other ways it doesn't. It drains me because I'm always on, I'm yep. always there. And it's like, you know, my wife's a similar way. Like she's an athlete, but also, you know, full time PD, but she works, you know, Monday, Tuesday, day off from work. And then works Thursday and Friday. So that Wednesday, she worked four four days a week. You know, and the days off, she does her, her two workouts in the long run. Her yeah. days off, essentially. So it's like, you know, but that forced downtime. And she doesn't do anything on Wednesday besides do her workout and lift. And then the rest of the day, she's just doing whatever she wants to do. But rejuvenates her for her work, so she can go back to work and work a ten-hour shift the next day, all hunky dory, even after doing a workout where it's like total volume with warm-up and cool anywhere between 13 to 16 miles, you know, running. So, but I think it's, like, same same point, like, we, we, you have to turn off, like, people like, Steve lost his phone, I was in Hawaii, everyone's so, it ran, everyone's okay, like, you know, it's like, I don't worry, I was telling someone, like, I don't worry what you're gonna eat for breakfast, lunch, and yeah. dinner. Like you're an adult, you, you can figure that out. My, here, my job as a coach is to help guide autonomy so you can make, you know, critical decisions on your own without running it by your counsel. You know, I'm, I'm just there to help troubleshoot and help you like maybe avoid certain pitfalls, but maybe not. Maybe you need to make the pitfall and learn from experience, you know, but I think that's been really tough for me as a coach, and my wife's much more intelligent than I am and has been telling me this for years. It's like, you need to spend more time on you and less time on other people because you're indirectly breeding dependency. And it's like, that's exactly the counter of what I want to do. I don't want to breed dependency. I want to breed autonomy. So, you know, getting back to coach's health, like, as I get older in coaching, it's more about coach's health. Take that day off because if that extra day off can every week can help you coach sustainably and effectively for another 10 years well yeah why not take it (laughs) you
0: know yeah no exactly exactly i mean it's 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 something that i think goes against our culture and i think if you look at well if you look at i mean American culture is built on this, like work ethic, drive. It's the football coach sleeping in his office. It's, yeah, you yeah. know the the investment banker working 80 hour, 80 hour weeks. It's like yeah, hundred hour weeks, hundred hour yeah, weeks. Yeah. You know, it's these things that like we're convinced that that this is going to like this is how we succeed. This is how we get a, get um, get beyond it. And I think if you took this to a, a running metaphor, it's like saying the only way to get better is go run 180 miles a week. And and then
1: once uh, you do that, uh, now go run 200.
0: Yeah. And so on. Yeah. And just keep it like. To infinity. Yeah. (laughs) And you just sit there and you'd be like, this is idiotic. Yeah. Like this doesn't work. Yeah. We have caps. Yeah, Yeah. We have caps, but in the, in the, in the, uh, in the work world i think we get in the set where because it's easy to feel physical fatigue yeah it's not so easy to feel that like or recognize that emotional like burnout to a degree or that emotional just like blase of just feeling like you don't want to do anything so i think that's a brilliant point i mean i know on my own coaching like I've had to learn learn how to step away for days or step away for times and turn it off because it's like you go from this college season to the professional season yep. to the, yep. the, never, the the never the never break season yes. is what it is. Yes, yeah, the boy, cross it is I mean. to indoors to outdoors to roads to yeah. everyone's always yeah. doing something yep. and you're just like, Oh my god, I am always on <laughs> on yeah. point. Uh-huh. Like I always make it a make it a point, especially in the summer, to email my college team and be like I am going to Europe on vacation. Do not email me. I will not be in touch. You know what to do. Something happens. You've been running for years. Figure it out. You're going to figure it <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm confident. Yeah. I'll be back in 10 days. Yeah. Like, yeah. the world won't end. <laughs> yep. But, you know, I think that's something we have to remind ourselves. So this is not only this just, like, once in a while vacation you have to do. Like, you have to have to have that that weekly in your schedule where you're just checking off
1: and again this is you know ageless wisdom I mean every major religion has a holy day you know and we've lost that holy day and are always on society but you know you look at any any religion anyone you want whichever one you prescribe to that holy day is supposed to be a day of absolutely nothing just reflection worship, you know connecting with your community your family you know your congregation what have you it's like it, you know it, it's fun the irony of it all it's like hey these things have been put in place for you know thousands and thousands of years and now here we are like oh hey you know early 30s we just figured it out <laughs> it's like no we again we're just slow learners man like the rest of us you know or like everyone else like we we've made certain pitfalls as well you know yeah so Yep.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's that ancient wisdom that just there's a reason stuff has been done for so long for yeah. that reason and yeah. most of the time it's uh I mean that's that's one of the reasons why I love Talib's anti fragile so much is mm-hmm. they'll just be like, Here's this modern day thing we do or this modern day research that tells us that we do but oh wait. We've been doing that for centuries because someone figured it out and they said this worked and this is why we've been doing it. Yeah. My favorite
1: part of that book is like, hey, we don't know the long-term effects of soda pop, but we know long-term effects of wine, coffee, and water. (laughs) And we've been drinking that forever. It's okay. But, you know, beer, relatively new. Soda, even newer. We don't know. <laughs>
0: <If> it's, it's, <laughs> we think we know, but we think. don't. <laughs> that's a, a Brilliant point. Yeah. Uh, we think we do. We've done a, done a little bit of research, so that makes us feel good about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no, no question. That's uh, that's uh, a <laughs> it's a good point.
1: Well, I think we've reached our, our natural conclusion. We've gone. We've done everything. This podcast. We've called ourselves out. We've try to give ourselves credits and build ourselves back up. We went on our typical multifaceted tangents. Not you know, now you know why, because Steve and I are very disorganized and he's ADD. <laughs> so we just we say, Hey yeah, we're gonna start doing it on this direction and then we guess we go the roundabout. Or as my wife likes to say, just you just get distracted. And it's like it's true, I get distracted. Yeah. <laughs> but it's that curiosity distraction, which at the end of the day is uh, one of the things that helps it keeps me going and keeps me thirsty for learning.
0: Awesome, man. Well, this was uh, this was fun. This was really long, so we'll probably split it into multiple uh, multiple sections. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. As it, as John said, I think the point was, um, hey, no one's got this figured out. Right. And if I could pass along any message to my younger self. Or any younger coaches out there, or even older coaches still trying to figure it out, which will probably be us in 20 years, too.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wait, remember that podcast? I told you guys, no. no, no.
0: <laughs> now we just have a record of how like, I idiotic this, we are. This is, this is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, just... This is a bad idea. In 20 years, we're going to go back. Go, oh, my, my goodness.
1: We actually well, said those things. Yeah. And what to we thinking? To us?
0: <laughs> why did we, we, we swayed random people, yeah. random distant coaches? Which is the wrong way. Yeah. So That's, we're sorry. Yeah. If you're listening to us, I'm sorry. Yeah. My bad for if if distance running goes down, you can just blame us. Yeah, blame just us. Blame That's us. Fine. Blame it'll us. be it'll we'll, be our problem. Mm-hmm. So well, <laughs> well awesome guys. Hope you guys enjoyed. As always, feedback is appreciated. Thanks to everyone who reaches out to us at random meets and random random places, which yeah. is cool. Yeah, we, so
1: Yeah, it makes us feel special. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Awesome, well enjoy.